Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the long-delayed Groovy podcast. We're finally back. Uh, my name is Ken Cousin. I'm podcasting from Marlboro, Connecticut, and I'm joined by... Graham Roche. Uh, I am broadcasting from Donostia, San Sebastian, in, in Spain. Wonderful. Uh, anybody who is a or it's at all familiar with Groovy and its general ecosystem, Grails, Micronaut, and so on, is definitely familiar with Graham. Graham is the creator, basically, of both the Grails framework and the Micronaut framework, along with others. But he was there at the beginning, and he was heavily involved in the Groovy framework as well, the Groovy language, right at the beginning as well. And, and we're, I'm just always happy to be to get a chance to talk to him uh welcome thank you for coming graham thanks for having me Ken. so you're in the that's in the south of spain is that right down in that area no exactly the opposite the north oh the yeah. north okay oh that's right you did tell me that yeah i'm gonna yeah. have to open google maps later and see yeah or more or less france is half an hour drive from you oh okay um, yeah. for the just for the people who are listening, I should just mention that the show notes for this episode are available in a GitHub repository. I'll add that link to the description on the when we upload this to the YouTube channel. But if you're just listening to this, we're at github.com slash groovy dash podcast. And that that's the organization. And then the group is the specific archive is groovy podcast, all one word. Uh, this is episode technically 89 believe it or not and i just arbitrarily called it season seven episode one because it's been a long time since our last podcast okay oh and we may wind up being joined a little bit later by jen uh wheezy i think she's pronounced it uh yeah. who will be in the oci offices in st louis missouri so hopefully she'll get a chance to join us so let's um we'll we'll go through the releases and the blog posts and everything but i i want to call attention to the fact that I think it was last month was the 15 year anniversary of the first, was it the first release of grails or? Yeah. The 1.0 release. The 1.0 release. I mean, uh, that's funny because the spring people have been making a big deal out of the fact that I think spring 1.0 came out in, I don't know. It was 19, 19 years ago or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Nearly 20. Yeah. So can you, I mean, you were there at the beginning when Grails was first formulated. And again, for those who don't know, the very first edition of, I mean, the the definitive guide to Grails, or, or actually, what was the first Grails book called when you wrote it? The definitive guide to Grails. It was yeah. the definitive guide, because I know that there were some name changes along the way. At any rate, that was Graham who wrote that book, and I loved that book. That was great. Uh, my Thank first you. Grails book was back when Grails was in 0 0.4, you know, that that book that was written on InfoQ and everything. Yeah. Like getting started with Grails or something. Um, yeah, yeah. That was I just remember. the bare minimum, whereas your book was fun. So what was it like at the very beginning? What triggered it all? What what made you decide you wanted to be in, involved in all this and so on? Yeah, well... Um... I, I was working for a, an e-learning company um, and we built uh, e-learning content and also like learning management systems that were mainly written in Java, Spring, Hibernate kind of thing. And um, I first go at Groovy and actually got involved in the Groovy community like quite a bit sooner than, than Grails. Um, because I wrote some code generation software and you'll see that code generation is a theme of Rails as well, I guess. Um, but I wrote some code generation software that would take a, like a word document and using a Groovy script, it, it turned it into a, uh, e-learning course, uh, directly from the word document. So, so like authors would write the word document and press the button and then build an e-learning course. Um, and it, it and it and it, it used the Pepsi POI, I think it was, or something like that, uh, to generate to convert the word document into like XML and and then transform it to XSLT and all sorts of things. So oh, templates. Wow. <laughs> it's it been fun. a while since I've seen uh, XSLT yeah. transformations. Right. 
So it was, but uh, Groovy was a big important part of that. You know, I think I used uh, all sorts of things from Groovy, from the ad builder and, you know, to, to automate a lot of the generation and whatever else. Um, and at the same time, I had a, a boss at the time who I'm very thankful for as an influence to me, who he, he wasn't, uh, at the time, a committer on Apache Cocoon, and he wrote a book about Apache Cocoon, which was an open source framework back in the day. So um, it was very, he encouraged me a lot to get into open source. And I was looking around, you know, um, we had this particular problem at the time at work where it was like really tough and time consuming to customize these learning management systems that were written in, in Java and Spring and Hibernate for each customer. There was like a lot of work you had to do and it was, took a really long time. Mm. And, um, and we were all jealous of Ruby on Rails, clearly, right. um, how much <laughs> faster it was. And I thought, well, you know, why couldn't we just do the same thing, but with Groovy? Um, and there was some interest in it on the Groovy mailing list. So we we just started an open source project called Rails to try and make ourselves more productive with Spring, Hibernate, and, and Java. And it happened to be that 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 project resonated with a lot of people and 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 solved a lot of people's pain. <laughs> um, no, I, so it re so it really took off. I heard yeah. a story back then, and maybe I'll ask you if it's true, because I, I don't know if it's true. It's just it was the story I was told. Uh, what The story I heard, and uh, by the way, welcome, Jen. Glad you're able to make it. Hello. Thanks. Yes. Hey, Jen. Hi. So Jen is here from, are you in the OCI offices? I kind of said you were, but I was guessing. Um, sometimes, yes. Today I am home, but sometimes I am. Very good. Very good. But you're still, that's uh, no nominally what you're considered part of. Um, nor, uh, previously, yes, for the last um, like 13 and a half, almost 14 years. But I did just transition over um, with the Grails and Micronaut Foundations to oh. unit officially. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I, I trust that's a happy change for you. That's something you you were looking forward to? Um, yes, absolutely. So I following, following the uh, foundations and following the technology. So excited about that. Great. Okay. Well, we'll get to that a bit later. Uh, in case you didn't realize that when you, when you uh, joined, I was talking to Graham about the, the origins of the Grails framework, how everything was created in the beginning there 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, the story I was going to mention, Graham, was that yeah. rumor had it that, the original name of the framework was actually going to be Groovy on Rails, just like Ruby on Rails, and that no less a person than DHH himself, David Hanemeyer Hansen, said, no, you can't call it Rails because that's that's my framework. You can't do that. And therefore, somebody made the decision to shorten it to just Grails and went with it. Is is that correct? Uh, that is correct, yeah. We, oh. we, we had uh, an email uh from from david at one point uh asking us to cease and desist from using the <laughs> on rails uh suffix so yeah it was Ruby on rails um and then well with that we're fine well we'll just drop the on rails but then go with the um kind of chalice cups theme <laughs> right and um and that, that worked out fine so I mean, there's no hiding the fact that ultimately, you know, Ruby on Rails was a big inspiration to a lot of frameworks and technologies back then. And um, it just so happened that, you know, for us, it was like a non-starter uh, for most of the projects I worked on, which were, you know, Java, Java-based. So, um, so it was, uh, it was called and challenging building something that that provided the kind of the same level of productivity and and development experience as as Ruby on Rails, and I think I think we succeeded, you know, in 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 achieving that goal of making something simple and easy to use for developers that was fun and, and productive um, to use. Um, 
and that's why you know it was you know um, uh, uh, that that's why it, it achieved such such early early success. You mentioned like zero point three or zero point four when books were being written about it. So that's um, I think my book was based on zero point four or something. If I remember. I remember. Um, and um, yeah, I mean. Uh, great technology and a lot of fun to work on and a fantastic community. I mean, I remember when Ruby on Rails came out and it, it I used to compare it when I was talking to students to <coughs> like the, the Java dinosaurs being hit by this asteroid from out, you know, that, that kind of wiped out the ecosystem. Suddenly everything was quick and easy. The mm -hmm. problem was, is as we know from DHH since then, uh, it's a very, very opinionated framework. You have to do things the way they want you to do them. And of course, everything has to be done in Ruby. So yeah. for some people, that was fine. If it was all greenfield development, then okay, you could deal with that. But Ruby wasn't even compiled. It was an interpreted language. And there were always going to be some performance issues associated with that. And there were most companies that we knew about had some investment in Java. So you, you needed to do something. I tried to learn Ruby on Rails in the early days, and it didn't really take. I, I think I could understand it much better now, but at that stage in my own learning, it was a big hurdle to pick that up. But when Grails came out, it was based on Spring and Hibernate, and both were established, very successful open source projects in the Java ecosystem. And I thought, oh, great. And and just combined it with the Groovy DSLs, you really had something hot. And that I thought that was wonderful. I had a great time with it. I really enjoyed the the first edition of your book. I think I still have my signed copy somewhere. That's uh, good. There. And then uh, eventually, as I recall, you and about a dozen, no, maybe fewer than a dozen, several other guys put together the G two one company. Is that right? Yeah, that was back in two thousand eight, I think. Right. Um. Uh, we weren't that many. We were three founders. Uh, our peak was seven employees, I wow. believe. Um, so, um, and the company uh, was only in existence for a year. Right. And then you got bought um, by, was it VMware? We were was... uh, SpringSource at the time. So the, Right, SpringSource the, before they got bought by VMware. The Spring Framework uh, company, yeah. Which made perfect sense at the time since Grails mm. was so dependent on Spring in, yeah. in, its, in, it, in, that, in those days. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, Spring Framework got bought by VMware, which that was the acquisition that always seemed weird to me. I, I didn't understand why a container company wanted the Spring Framework, but okay, so be it. Well. They ended up buying them twice, so they must have really yes, wanted them. Turned out. Then they split off Pivotal, right? Yeah, and they bought them again. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, from what Jeff Brown told me, uh, during those early years, all that basically changed for him is his email address changed like four times in two years, yeah. something like that. Yeah, there was, um, there was a lot of there was a lot of change. Um, I think that acquisition happened a bit early. Um, mm. VMware at the time, from my experience with what happened there, um, VMware at the time were, you know, primarily operated by former Microsoft executives who, who did, who understood selling software like, um, in a kind of productized way where, you know, you pay $70 for this box software and, you keep paying each year and that kind of stuff. Um, but they had no idea about open source business models um, or how they work or what the benefit of them are. Um, so, you know, they had suddenly this spring source, which was, you know, a 300, I think it was around a 300 person organization and they didn't know what to do with it. Um, mm um they didn't know how to sell it they didn't know how to, to push it forward and um and yeah they, were, they weren't really an open source company at the time so it's um it 
I think that changed now. Now they now they are, you know. Um, hmm. Much better. Yeah. Um, uh, and but but you know, and even companies like Microsoft have changed. Right. So. Um, yeah, who would have figured that, right? <laughs> I mean, suddenly they emerge out of the ashes again. And I mean, Azure made such a huge difference for them. And then, of course, now these days with with ChatGPT and OpenAI and everything making a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, you know, not spend the whole time talking about history, I suppose. Although the next major thing I do want to bring up was when you and a few others decided to create Micronaut at that time. So when when did that happen? What triggered that? As I recall, it was uh, some frustration with the div- with wanting to do some major refactoring to Grails and deciding to leave Grails without those huge changes and instead do everything over from scratch again. Yeah, so we felt that, you know, we we had we had a lot of um different um users Coming to us, saying, you know, with um, you know, this is taking this this application is taking a lot of memory, or this application is taking too long to start, or this application, and you know, we optimized as much as we could, but um, ultimately we were hitting some limits of the architecture, um, and with Grails we had also like gone on a bit of a journey where. At the beginning, Grails was like fully runtime based. So everything was configured in dynamic at runtime. And as each release progressed, we moved more and more into the Groovy compiler until it was until it was more and more compilation time based with AST transformations. And that revealed like to me that you could do a lot more during the compilation phase of the application to optimize it for execution so that it's more efficient, it's more and uh, and at the same time, you know, there was interest in um, lighter weight microservices, serverless workloads, and you know, I like Rails, but I, I don't think it would. It, it's you know, you're never going to run Rails inside of a, a Lambda on <laughs> on AWS, or um, uh, so we we wanted to come up with something that was like really small and efficient and. And uh, and during the whole development of Grails as well, the building on Spring and Hibernate, I got to know the internals of both of those frameworks quite intimately and understand their um, deficiencies, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> um, and well, let's call them compromises, right? Um, right? I don't I don't want to be too controversial, but let's call them let's call them compromises, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with Micronaut, we make it we make a different set of compromises, right? So no framework is perfect, right? Um, Spring makes this compromise that okay, we we're gonna configure your application at runtime using runtime analysis, using reflection, etc., and delay everything until the application is running, and that, and that that's easier because it's it's uh, you know the reflection API is already there. But then you have all this runtime analysis happening, right? Mm. So that, that has to be delayed until the application is running. So you have to traverse all the annotations on all is wired together and you have to do that all at runtime. Um, with Micronaut, we chose a different set of compromises, which is, okay, we're gonna slow down slightly your compilation, pay a small cost during the comp- compilation process, but then at runtime, it's already ready to to, to roll, right? So um, that gives us significantly faster startup time, smaller footprint. We don't need as much infrastructure at runtime. That you know you can build a Micronaut application that's really small, um, and that allows Micronaut to be to go places that are maybe would be challenging, whether it be deploying to an IoT device or serverless or or whatever, right? Um, and that's a compromise that a lot of people uh, like, right? Um, uh, I think that, was, uh, that corresponded to a lot of the rise of microservices as an architecture. Back when Grails was, you know, had its big heyday, then tools like Spring and Spring Boot made monoliths. <laughs> 
these days I hear the term modulus thrown around a lot, but uh, there was a transition definitely in the industry away from mod monolith type applications to these microservices. And my understanding was Micronaut was designed with those in mind. Um, yeah, well, of... I, I, think, I think there was two trends and they're often conflated. So I think microservices was definitely one trend mm -hmm. um, and Micronaut clearly caters to that trend. But there was also a bigger trend, uh, even if you're not running a cluster of microservices, which was moving from fat servers to fat clients. Um, so, you know, we saw, you know, the first versions when Grails came out, it was like we had GSP and all the server-side rendering and right. you know, et cetera, all, you know. And, you know, we saw the, ri we saw the rise of, that clients, whether it be an iOS client, an Android client, right, or, or a React or Vue or whatever front end, right, and therefore the a lot of the responsibility for the was moved from the server, and the server became stateless, REST based, right. So even if you're not even if you're not a microservice, right, you're still you're shifting to a completely different architecture, right. Mm -hmm. While Grails uh, is you know had historically been more optimized for um, you know um, generating crud views and all server side view rendering, and you know we did do we did with Grails we did do some um, integration with you know um, JavaScript frameworks as well, but I think in general you know the original design was was at the time when we had these like large so. So, um, so yeah, there was lots of different trends that drove simplification on the server side. And then also things like, um, you know, different server side deployment architectures. So you have things like gRPC and GraphQL and right. REST and, you know, um, and, you know, Micronaut caters to all of those different use cases, right? You can write a gRPC app, you, you can write a, uh, GraphQL application, you can write a REST application. Um, and, and we also do support server-side view rendering, but you know, it's, it's more, it's, it's a very adaptable framework. Um, and that, and, you know, Micron and Grails are not really comparable in that Grails is really a web framework, right? Um, mm, right. and, and Micron is a much more general purpose. So, you know, that, you have folks that are using it in all sorts of scenarios from, you know, command line applications to even like there's folks using it in JavaFX and desktop applications and um, microservices, message-driven microservices, you know. Um, the, the different deployment scenarios in Micronaut are much wider. Um, there were a couple of things in Micronaut that jumped out at me during the history. I, I haven't spent as much time with it as I'd like. I've still got my... Micronaut T-shirt that I think I know, I gave me that. years ago. Yeah, <laughs> mm. um, but one was that was the first time I heard the term ahead of time compilation AOT. That was that was quite different. I I thought I it seemed like time travel. Like how could you even do that? And yet yeah. it was the first crack in the facade of Spring of everything being dynamic at runtime. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that was dazzling was. I thought Micronaut was the first framework that had a an app that ran on the Grawl virtual machine in like not just under a hundred milliseconds. I think you had a demo that went like under under twenty milliseconds. The startup time was just it, you hit yeah. the return key and it was running. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, well, well, it was interesting that you know we started work on Micronaut and and at the same time Oracle at Oracle at Oracle Labs. The Graal VM team were working on Graal VM, and we were doing the, this development work in parallel. But I had no idea of the existence of Graal VM. We, but we had arrived at the same conclusions, right? Which was like, you can create much more intelligent compilers, and then these smaller, much more efficient runtimes, right? Um, that we just went about it different ways, right? So they focused on the core AOT native. Uh, compilation technology, and we focused on optimizing the Java compilation, and that's why they they work really well together. Because 
you know, the way GraalVM native image works is it, it needs to know all the reachable parts of your application. So it needs to know everything about your application. And so it does what's called a closed world static analysis of your application. So that means um, if your application has nothing dynamic at runtime, no reflection, no dynamic class loading, then it's very easy for GraalVM to perform that analysis. And during the development of Micronaut, we had eliminated all of those dynamic parts. So there's no like, there's no like dynamic class loading, no reflection, no. Um, so it was just very easy for GraalVM to, for Micronaut to work with, with GraalVM native image and to build uh, native uh, executables um, for Micronaut applications with GraalVM. And that's the case today. Um, and uh, it keeps getting better technology. So, uh, you know, we, we expect those numbers, those numbers to be become smaller over time as well. You know, so you mentioned 20, I think you know, the next release will probably be even less and, and things will get smaller and more efficient. And, and, and you know, we, we keep investing in new areas to make the, the closed world static analysis uh, better uh, and the applications more efficient. So we just, so for example, we just re released recently Micronaut serialization, which oh. uh, which lets you serialize and deserialize JSON in a completely reflection-free manner. Um, you know, basically eliminating one of the dependencies we had, which was on Jackson. Um, which Spring, Jackson. by the way, Spring of course still uses that. That's their their default. Right, and of course we we still support Jackson because you know a lot of people love Jackson, but that's fine. You can still, but now we have a solution that uh, out of the box. Um, yeah, and you you know you can um, create very small efficient applications uh, with Micronaut and and very easily compile them into the native executables that run um, and and exhibit those behaviors that you, you know, dropping the the startup time to low milliseconds and memory consumption as well, which, um, and, and the exciting thing about that is, is the, the possibilities it opens because now you can take Java to places it couldn't go before, right? So right. a lot of people will say, yeah, why, why would I do this? You know, I don't care about throwing like gigabyte of memory at my container, who cares, right? It's just memory, but you know, you, you can run the application in, in deployment scenarios that just weren't technically possible before, you know, run. Raspberry Pis or on serverless uh, uh, instances that only take 120 megabytes. Yeah, so there's there's massive efficiencies to be had. I remember. I mean, the the Spring Framework people, you know, when they created Spring Boot, they, there was always the comparison between Spring Boot and Micronaut, and of course, Quarkus was another competitor, which uh, we'll get to in a minute. But I, um, the latest version of Spring Boot, Spring Boot three dot whatever their big innovation with spring six and spring boot three was simply that they moved the minimum required jdk up to jdk 17 and not much else changed in spring i mean there are some changes but not that much in the actual visible api that that users code to and in order i think to compensate for that lack of new features they do these demos where they show, oh, but now you could take a Spring Boot app and run it through the Graal native compiler and thereby get these amazing startup times and small memory footprints, even though the application is like three times the size that it was before. And I keep thinking, isn't anybody going to mention that Micronaut did this five years ago, seven years ago? It's like, I'm glad they're doing it. That's great. You know, it's about time. But Micronaut was there years ago. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's interesting to see how Spring has evolved and it's become more and more Micronaut-like. Mm. Um, with you know, with Spring Spring Boot three, um, um, and uh, moving more and more into the compiler, removing more and more dynamic dynamicity. I guess you want, if you want to use it. Um, so, but that's what you know competitive pressure does. Um, I don't, the thing is they have some fundamental constraints that mean they will, um, 
you know, never likely to be able to match the the numbers that we were able to get to in terms of startup time and uh, and memory consumption. Hmm. And probably that's fine. Maybe you know, spring users maybe don't care. Um, I mean, the fact is, is that the fact of the matter is as well. I mean, spring is huge. It's very popular. Um, and they have a huge community, so you know they, they don't really have much to, to worry about. Um, I think the exciting thing for developers is that there's choices now. No, um, mm. that that um, uh, they um, you know there's there's viable alternatives and in the job to the in the Java community, right? Which um, would be a very sad place the Java community if they, all you had was Spring, right? Yeah, that's that's very diplomatic as always. Um, I remember, and by the way, Jen, I promise we will get to you. I'm I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh no, you're fine. Okay. I'm happy to be here. No worries. Okay, I I was with Graham at a Java One conference. I don't know pre pandemic, so a couple of years before that. When you first mentioned the word Quarkus to me, I'd never heard it. I didn't know that they Red Hat had announced their framework. And I think they had a big presentation at Java One about it. And mm -hmm. the response I had at the time, now again, this is, I don't mind being controversial because I just figured, hey, nobody's listening anyway. Sorry, whatever. Um, I, I go ahead and say this. I The same response I have now whenever anybody mentions Quarkus is in a world where we already have Micronaut, why do we need Quarkus? I, I don't, is there any... Thing that Quarkus does that Micronaut doesn't. I mean, is is there any reason to use that versus Micronaut? I I don't think I know of any. Yeah. So um, you know the, the the development of Quarkus was clearly you know I think the first commit was like um, a month after Micronaut was open sourced. So you make your own conclusions from that. Yeah. But, I was um, like, why, why did they even bother? <laughs> I mean, did they just? I hope they didn't just take the code and go with it. No, I mean, but no, no, it's, it's 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 very different architecturally. Um, again, it makes a different set of compromises, right? Mm. Uh, so, so um, they focus heavily on using a particular feature of Gravium native image, which is called uh, build time initialization, ah. um, where they try to initialize as much as possible at build time, and this does mean that that they with Quarkus you probably get the best startup numbers. Um, uh, better than Micronaut, we're talking like milliseconds here, yeah, two or three milliseconds better. Um, but uh, it is a it is a very challenging set of compromises for them that I'm not sure how they're going to maintain long term because they uh, basically you need to build and maintain integrations uh, to to be able to build time initialize all third party libraries. Um, because initializing types and build time with native image actually changes the behavior of the application. Uh, it's not the same. And that is actually one area where the Spring team and the Micronaut team are on the same page, that we, we definitely do not want to use and abuse build time initialization because it leads to very difficult to debug um, problems with native image. Um, so, but all the best of luck to the, the Quarkus guys um, in trying to maintain that long term because um, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> the, um, um, so, um, yeah, and I, I mean, in terms of why they built it, uh, you know, again, to cater for Red Hat's audience, which is, you know, um, the they you know it has always been about um, pushing the Jakarta and Java historically the Java EE standards, uh, such as SRS and so forth. Um, and um, uh, they implemented something that was familiar to users who are familiar with those standards, right? Okay. Um, so if you if those are really important, whilst Micronaut, we've tried to um, build something that's familiar and easy to migrate migrate to from Spring. So if you are a Spring user, you'll feel pretty much at home, and I think um, it's a much easier thing to 
move to and understand and learn. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think they, they had a different set of requirements. And, um, and then anyway, we, uh, this kind of competition is good for the whole ecosystem and certainly good for GraalVM that all these uh, different frameworks are investing and in making the technology better uh, and so forth. I'm sure it's all good for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things, uh, again, small stuff, and then we'll talk about a couple of the links and news items. But I mean, the, I, the fact that I got you here, I want to take advantage of the fact that you've been through all these different uh, big events in the in the community's history. Uh, when VMware slash Pivotal slash Spring Source, whoever they were at the time, decided that they didn't want to be involved in Groovy or Grails anymore. Groovy, of course, eventually wound up at Apache, at the Apache Software Foundation. Mm -hmm. But Grails wound up at OCI. And mm -hmm. I assume you were there, Jen, at the time, right? I mean, you said you were there 14, 15 years. So you were at, at OCI. So now I know Jeff Brown worked at OCI for a number of years. But what was that like, the transition from the company of the size of, of well, VMware and everybody there, moving to OCI. How was that for the, the Groovy and the Grails people there? Uh, I think... Um, uh, like for you, Jen, I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, Jen, can I also, what, you want to say that? Stop, Jen, and I'll put Jen. Well, I mean, I, as far as, um, you know, OCI goes, we were really excited to welcome the framework um, to the organization. And it, it brought... Um, you know, a new practice for us to focus on and, and be able to support um, clients and, and getting to be a part of that community and all that was, was really exciting. And, um, you know, watching that grow over the last, um, you know, several years while it's, while it had been a part of object computing um, was just really exciting to see. Um, you know, object computing started out as an open source company. And so we we really embrace that um, at our core. And so to be able to, you know, have a, a technology like Grails come on board um, and then and then watch the growth and then watch Micronaut as well um, come from that. Um, it, it was just a, a really exciting to see. And, and we were very, um, you know, proud of that and and proud of the team and um you know really anytime that that we can support open source um technologies that that really do change the world and in whatever way that they're being used um is is great um and and then i'm i'm sure graham has um his view as well because we were excited to to welcome graham um and and watch like i said watch that team grow um so that was that was uh, a neat thing to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, object computing uh, is a great home for for the technologies. Um, they understand open source and what it means to support an open source community. And uh, you know, we we looked at several several different options for Rails when we left, and and um, object computing were the ones that convinced us and they have done a great job in shepherding the technology and and um and also investing in new ideas in, in the space like like Mike not um so um and and also um letting it grow you know outside in organizations you know around the world and, and collaborating with now, you know, I'm working on Oracle Labs, but um, we continue to collaborate together with the project computing on a, on a daily basis, and it's uh, through the foundation. And um, and uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic to jointly work on these technologies and watch them grow. Well, certainly from the perspective of an outsider, I have to say that OCI has been an excellent steward for both technologies. I mean, that absolutely impressed. That's, I guess brought me to my other question, which was the big move that surprised the heck out of me was when you decided to go to Oracle. Uh, what it attracted you to that? Or was it Jeff playing the wrong music in the office or something like that that finally drove you? 
I think and... they, actually I've ridden in the car with both of them um, to and from events and airports. And I, I did find out that they uh, have a very similar taste in music. Right? We do actually, we do have actually have a very similar taste in music. So it definitely, <laughs> definitely wasn't just music. No, um, Oracle approached me several times and I said no several times. Um, over a course of um, about a year. Um, but in the end, I saw an opportunity for uh, more investment into by, by Micronaut becoming a multi-vendor hmm. um, in that we could basically have a much larger team, which we do. And at Oracle Labs, we have uh, around about 15 people working on Micronaut. Um, on a daily basis in different areas um, and it's resulted in major features uh, being built um, on, from both companies you know so um, Micronaut Data for example um, hmm. uh, Micronaut Serialization all you know a lot of the test resources the Gradle and Maven plugins um, you know we've, we've been able to um, I um have a much you know um, have a much larger team investing in and uh, and Oracle is um very keen to see Micronaut grow and usage of Micronaut is growing internally at Oracle. We have a lot of teams at Oracle using Micronaut. Um so uh it's um it's great uh to see it first within within Oracle as well. And uh, I Oracle recently became an engineering partner to the foundation. So um, we want to see that collaboration continue. And um, and it's only going to be beneficial for the technology long term. So um, um, and you know, in terms of me, you know, I I also looked at the other side, which was, you know, um, at Oracle. The GraalVM team are here, the, the Java team are here. And like I said, I'm I'm working with some people who are way smarter than me. Um <laughs> who uh who who um uh uh on the compiler side and you know you know which uh which is beneficial to Micronaut because um you know the we have both the Java compiler team and the GraalVM compiler team and the and the Java runtime team, which means you know if there's anything uh, that needs optimizing or solving any layer of the stack, um, it's easier for me to to reach out and and and, and make things better. Um, mm, I can see that would be a real asset. So um, and that's only good. That's only good for um, for Micronaut, right? Um, and the foundation. So we've mentioned the foundations. Well, found I say foundations plural because there's a, a Grails one and a Micronaut <laughs> one, um, but we haven't actually said what they are, or what they do. Can can you give us a summary, Jen, of what what that's all about? Sure. So um, the foundations are, um, you know, and, and I can I mention, like you just said, we have the Grails Foundation and Micronaut Foundation, um, and they are not for profit organizations. And um, we established these to specifically focus on uh, focus efforts on, you know, evangelizing and promoting the framework, um, helping support the ecosystem um, of the functionality and, you know, making sure that we are continuing the technical innovation um, and advancement of the framework. So, you know, while yes, you know, the, the technology itself had made its move to object computing and it was, you know, supported, but it was just a practice there. So while, you know, we're, we're doing all of that work, having something that was dedicated, um, to the, the specific technology, um, was exciting and, um, and, and needed, right. So you want something that is, is wholly focused on that, um, especially with, um, uh, you know, as of a few years ago, right, uh, especially to focus on a new technology like uh, Micronaut. So you you want something there to support that. And then, you know, being able to have 
um, a technology advisory board, which is made up, as you know, Ken, because you're part of the Grail Technology Advisory Board. But, um, you know, to have that technology advisory board full of folks that are not just um, from OCI or or Oracle or, um, you know, they're from all different organizations that um, can contribute um, and and provide feedback and help, you know, guide where, um, you know, the technology can go. So, so that kind of stuff is, is really helpful. I think, um, I think it's good to have that in place to get, you know, various perspectives from, you know, the different types of industries that we have that are using the frameworks and, um, you know, also the folks might come from different organizations that, that use it. Um, or if they might just use it personally as well, but just getting that sort of um, contribution um, from them, um, I think is, you know, invaluable. Well, the both foundations announced this partnership with something called the Unity Foundation. Uh, I know the word unity in one context, but what is, what's this about? So um, it is a, a, uh, St. Louis-based foundation, um, Dr. Mashiri was really wanting to find a way to, you know, continue to serve the community, um, especially, um, you know, using using open source technology to help community underserved, um, just bringing everyone together, all parts together to collaborate um, and be able to partner with organizations that might need the use of open source software to help them and, and to help people. And um, so there was, you know, that mission and um, the, the, the greater scope of that, right, is to bring in these amazing open source technologies to help build um, architecture for, for organizations um, to serve them better. So hence oh, okay. the move um, of these technologies and the, the foundations um, to Unity's non-for-profit entity. Um, and so we can just more closely align and more closely, um, you know, build, build things to help, help folks. Okay, well, thank you. I, I I really do wish you the best there. I had no idea that you made that move. So I'm, uh, I'm still good. in the same office. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm still, you know, I I have a I have a new email. Um, but this this is a um helps allow just a, a little more focus in in the areas. So we're excited to 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 the see what comes with the future and and to have that additional collaboration um with with folks. So. And and Graham mentioned that Oracle's an engineering partner as well, so that's that's got to help. Yeah. Uh, okay, Graham, I got to ask you a technical question anyway. Uh, one of the things that Spring did, because I I got to say, I mean, I teach technical technical training classes, and a lot of my mm. demand, a lot of the demand that I do is Spring related. Um, the move to Spring Boot three and Spring six required a jump to Java seventeen. Now that's a bold move. Because yeah. while Java 17 is growing in adoption, I don't even know if they, I think they're out of single digits now, but I doubt they've broken 20%. I mean, I haven't seen any statistics lately. Are you familiar with any numbers? Uh, but I mean, I guess I, what, I'm, what I'm, yeah, okay. What I really want to ask is what the plans are for Micronaut and or Grails, if you happen to know. Uh, what are they going to, are they going to move the minimum JDK up to 11? Are they going to go to, a 17 or do they care about non LTS releases, all that kind of stuff. Cause I mean, 20 had nothing in it. I mean, I, well, yeah. there wasn't preview, you know? Uh, yeah, right. So, um, so in the case of Micronaut, uh, we will be making the same jump in Micronaut four. Ah, um, the 17. So, yes. Ah. So, so my, um, we will have to keep supporting Micronaut 3 for a long time. Right. Um, uh, and we'll continue to do so because uh, that is the Java 8 plus um, version of Micronaut. Hmm. 
so we don't anticipate abandoning that um, branch, if you want to call it that. Uh, but uh, Micronaut 4 will be a Java 17 baseline as well. Um, and Micronaut 4 is also an opportunity for us to to obviously clean up, uh, modularize further, uh, leave the shift to the Jakarta namespace from Java X, right. and uh, which was you know uh, which we still have some remnants of in Micronaut three. Um, update all of our dependencies to new major versions of so things like Hibernate six and and so forth, and it, it's it's kind of a little bit in, inevitable for us because you know um, even if we wanted to stay on an earlier version of Java, Micronaut 4, it's less and less technically feasible as our third-party dependencies drop support for, right. um, you know, so we have transitive dependencies on some modules that, we already have many transitive dependencies on certain modules that were Java 11 minimum, and there's more and more that are like now Java 17 minimum. Yeah, Makito, um, which I've been spending a lot of time with lately, just moved to Java 11 as their minimum. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, there was a release candidate, no, not a release candidate, milestone version of Micronaut just released that it's a milestone of four, right? Yes, it's not like fully released. We It's more like, that's more like an internal release, we're still in the oh, process okay. of, of, um, of actually making it usable, um, <laughs> but it will be at, uh, in, the, in the next few weeks. Um, it's been a long journey. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, yes, there there is a milestone out there, and it is built with JDK seventeen. Um, so you will need a Java seventeen distribution to use that. When, when roughly do you hope for Micronaut four to be fully viable? I mean, fully released. I know that uh, I nothing committal. I just wondered if, <laughs> if roughly when do you expect Q two. Uh, so, you know, the second quarter of this year, mm -hmm. uh, it will be, uh, once we have the first, the, the biggest challenge is getting the first milestone and, and then we can iterate and do more regular milestones. Um, so, well, since uh, Q2 it, it's, starts it's, in two days, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, but the first milestone will be released soon and then it will be iterative releases of the, you know, uh, of the framework and it's feature complete. So the, the there is we're doing some performance optimizations still, um, but the feature set is done. So there's the actual uh, the actual work on new features is is finished, um, and and all the breaking changes that we planned are, are done. So I did see a, a link saying that Micronaut Four would actually use Groovy Four as well. That, that's right. So it's a, it's Groovy four, Kotlin one point eight, hmm. and and then we have some nice new features like we have support for um, Kotlin symbol processing KSP, oh. which um, will make a lot of Kotlin users happy. Yeah, people have been uh, wanting that for a long time. Yeah, um, and it makes Kotlin compilation a lot faster. Uh -huh. uh, we have a new API for defining filters that doesn't require you to uh, use Reactive. Uh, with the imminent um, upcoming release of uh, of Loom, we well, that just went out with Java twenty. In fact, uh, we have support for virtual threads in, in the framework. That, um, that's the next question I had actually, because so uh, from what it looks like, Oracle's planning to release uh, virtual threads as an official part of twenty one. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, that's so, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, we'll be ready. Virtual threads. Yeah. Uh, Micronaut four will be ready for virtual threads, and um, and also we're we're generally preparing the framework for a post reactive world. Um, so we, a lot of the APIs we've been looking at have been you know basically um, removing or removing the need or the requirement to use reactive. Um, yeah. So isn't that interesting? That, I mean, uh, I remember when when I was in the I mean in the Android world. The Android world has gone entirely Kotlin. I mean, even though they have Java stuff involved, any you know the the vast majority of apps now are Kotlin based. And I remember that, of course, they care about getting off the UI thread. So they, whenever they're doing any processing that isn't UI related, 
And that meant they've cared about these multi-threaded things for years. When mm. they adopted Kotlin and Kotlin brought in coroutines, Rx Android reactive stuff seemed to vanish almost overnight. I mean, within a couple yeah. of months, nobody was doing that anymore. And when Spring adopted Kotlin, when Spring says, yeah, you can make your application in Kotlin and use coroutines, I was wondering if a similar thing was going to happen in the Java world, but people, you know, switching from Java to one of these alternative languages is a big leap. I was wondering if Micronaut, which of course does everything, was going to minimize reactive stuff when it adopted the virtual threads and coroutines, et cetera. So we, we will we will continue to support reactive because there's some use cases that yeah. are, um, where you really want uh, to use it, but we do want to make it easier for developers to to use traditional imperative programming models uh, for writing their applications. So um, and of course with the virtual threads as well. Uh, I don't think it solves all the cases of you know reactive, but mm. it does solve it does solve many of them. So um, so we want to have strong support for Loom and virtual threads, and we will do, and that's shipping. In the Kotlin um, so, world, the, the coroutines was step one and structured concurrency was step two. They needed that mm -hmm. to coordinate the mm -hmm. threads and cancellation and exception handling and all of that. And even though it looks like virtual threads will be part of 21, I don't think structured concurrency is anywhere near that point. So any opinion about whether it's going to be useful? I mean, the virtual threads are going to be helpful without something like structured concurrency, or are you just going to do it in a different way? I think that will, they will already be useful because, for example, um, certain things like the JDK's HDB client and the uh, Oracle Oracle JDBC driver mm. have already been have already been made uh, virtual thread aware. So you that. can so you you know removing of synchronization blocks and and so forth. Oh. Uh, so that means that you can scale out virtual threads uh, even with blocking imperative code. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot, you know, a lot easier. Um, which is which is good news. You know, I think that um, uh, you know, there's definitely the case. I see it a lot um, that uh, your regular developers find reactive programming much more challenging um, than traditional imperative programming. Um, that keeps me in business. <laughs> yeah, it, it needs a uh, you need a different mindset. So, um, so yeah, uh, we and you know, Microsoft has always, always supported imperative uh, programming styles, um, but there you know there were a few APIs that were you know you, where you did have to know a little bit of React programming. So we we want to make sure that, that um, none of those exist. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, and uh, and yeah. Um, lots of little improvements in the framework. Uh, we have a new compilation time expression language as well oh. uh, for annotations, which will be nice. Um, and yeah, um, should be shipping soon, hopefully. <laughs> okay, well, we, we didn't really talk about a lot of the things in the show notes, so let me just summarize some of that because I don't, I know you've got some limitations on your time. And, and I, you know, I do appreciate your being here, both of you actually. Um, <laughs> pardon me. Just want to emphasize that Paul King has been doing extraordinary work, making blog posts related to small, interesting problems in the groovy world. I listed about, I don't know, 10 or so that were just this year alone. I mean, just in 2023, although I did include his um, year in review from the end of last year, but he's been going back months, uh, cranking out blog posts. So people who are interested in seeing Groovy used to solve interesting, if small, self-contained practical problems, be sure to check out the Apache Groovy blog, which he's been just filling with posts on a regular basis. Uh, I always have a lot of fun with those and they're not long. I mean, they're just, they're really just, and he's such a great coder. It's so much fun to watch. Uh, of course, the one that I didn't include is one we did last year, which was really hot, was about incorporating some of the AI tools into yeah. Groovy as well, or using Groovy to access the AI tools. I imagine that'll be coming as well. Uh, the 
The other thing I want to mention, uh, Guillaume Laforge, who used to head the the groovy um, language, is now uh, seems to have picked up his blog as well and is revitalizing that. And he's uh, even though he's still a Google person and talking more about cloud related things, he looked at open location code. He looked at visualizing output in the groovy console. It's always good to see him become a bit more active. Um, in the uh, groovy space, even though he's developed this beard now that makes him look like this professor somewhere, you know, this madman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I see that uh, Spock is still making progress, and our our good friend Mr. Hockey, you know, um, Hubert Spock, Klein, is, Spock, Spock is amazing, and we continue using it for all of our testing. So. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's still active and effective. I don't necessarily consider great old part of the groovy ecosystem anymore really i mean that we do have a dsl there but even they keep pushing the kotlin one uh but okay they're still active and growing and things are happening there so i i guess i this is all a long way of apologizing for how long it's been since we've had a groovy podcast <laughs> and say please don't let that imply that there's not a lot going on in and the groovy groovy is still fully supported by micromobs and will be in micromob for Right. So, the, the reason we talked about Micronaut and Grails is we had you here. If we get a chance to talk to Paul King anytime soon, we'll spend the whole time talking about Groovy. So, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe we can get that set up for for a one coming soon. Um, I would I, love. To, I, I always I, enjoy talking to Paul. You know. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I do know that um, the plan is um, with some of the upcoming. Um, Oh, we're we're getting ready to to do a, a release of Grail six, wow. but um, I know with Grail seven, um, the plan is for that to include Groovy four. Ah, okay. So there are plans stretching out into the future for Grails as well. A lot of the publicity for Grails doesn't seem to be getting through in a lot of the community. I, I run into lots of developers who are not aware that Grails is still an active growing project, which is kind of frustrating. I'll take part of the blame for that. I mean, the fact we haven't been pushing it on the podcast, we haven't been having a lot of podcasts recently, but still we, we got to do something to get people to realize that this is a lot of what Spring Boot is doing is bringing in things that Grails has had for years, you know, the Groovy's had for years. And of course, Grails used to be based on Spring, but it learned all this stuff from Micronaut and now has Micronaut engine driving a lot of what Grails does and, and to everybody's benefit again. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, we we actually, um, with the release of, of Grails 6, and you'll see this shortly, hopefully later today when GitHub Actions um, gets over its incident and, and the blog post goes through, but... Oh. Um, yeah, so there is a um, a new implementation of the the Grail CLI, and that was um, heavily inspired by the CLI used in Micronaut. So you know, definitely um, taking parts from other um, open source technologies in order to to grow and and make them better. And it's it I think it's good to to see that sort of thing. Um, so yeah. And and also with six, um, I know you guys were just talking about um, the changes with Java baseline. So with with Grail six is going to come um, a baseline of eleven, and um, and then the plan um, for seven is to have a baseline of seventeen. Okay, okay. So that answered that earlier question, which I kept meaning to bring up again, and I I forgot. So I, I appreciate you uh, completing that story. That that was <laughs> no very problem. helpful. Thank you. Um, but again, I don't want to run too late here. Let me just give Graham, is there anything that, that you want to add to the shameless self-promotions? Is there anything that you're doing or that you're going to, anywhere you're speaking or or presenting or or books you're working on or anything you want to mention coming up? Well, I'll be speaking at uh, nothing in the short term, but in at, in, in go, to, go to Amsterdam. I'll be in Amsterdam in, in July, uh, end of June, I think, so check that out. Um, and no, right now, uh, mainly just hard work on trying to get <laughs> a Micronaut four release up, and uh, then we will do a lot. We'll do a lot of publicity in Q three and, and beyond. Jen, you mentioned uh, 
the grails and the foundation stuff. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Um, I mean, just the, the framework is, um, you know, we've, like I said before, we've got, um, you know, plans for seven. So, um, we are looking forward to, um, you know, the future and, um, you know, we're hopeful to see, um, you know, what all is going to come, but, but we do have plans to continue and, and Puneet's done, um, a great job of, of, of leading that effort. Um, and we have a lot of clients that, that come to us daily, um, for support with their grails applications. And it's great to see them interested in upgrading. Um, so we are, you know, just, just as much working on, on grails. Um, we, we do have a, a larger team, you know, of course with Micronaut, um, and, and our engineering partner with Oracle, but, um, both technologies we're really excited about seeing, um, where they go. Well, wonderful. Uh, I guess I'll mention a couple of things. Uh, my most recent book is the Makito made clear about the Makito testing framework for mocks, stubs, and spies. That's from Pragmatic Programmers. I have a weekly newsletter called Tales from the Jar Side that comes out every Sunday. And on every Monday, I have a video version of it. It's basically the, the use cases. If you don't feel like reading my newsletter, that's fine. I'll read it to you. And I try to add additional technical videos to that each week as well. So that just look for either of them. The links are in the, the newsletter. I think that's about it. There's a Paul did announce that the Apache Con conference looks to be being renamed something like Community Over Code, and it will be in Halifax, Nova Scotia in October. But that's all I've heard about it. I did put a link to the page in the show notes. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything. Anything else either of you wanted to say? Thanks for having us, and we look forward to to our next, our next time. <laughs> oh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you everyone who's listening. And we will we will talk to all of you again soon, hopefully. But soon is a very flexible term here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you. Bye.